You're listening to the Locked On Nuggets podcast, your daily podcast on the Denver Nuggets. Now, here is your host from DenverStiffs.com, Adam Mottes. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Locked On Nuggets podcast, part of the Locked On NBA Network. I'm your host, Adam Mottes from DenverStiffs.com, the largest Denver Nuggets blog and community on the web. Check us out. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. We got some videos up from the locker room. Um, some good stuff. Always some good stuff. Uh, Monte Morris, Nikola Jokic, Michael Malone, who's really been on point, I think, a lot lately with uh, some of his his talking points. Um, so check us out. Make sure to subscribe, and and uh, you won't miss any of the videos that we put together. This episode of the show, a good one. We get to talk about a win, a bounce-back win, and really a butt-kicking. Denver dominated the Minnesota Timberwolves 133-107 at Pepsi Center. 133 points, 40 assists. This was a good Nuggets game. The ball was indeed popping. Popping like it has not since 2013. This was the most assist Denver uh, a Nuggets team has thrown out in a game since 2013. And um, it was just good. From start to finish, I thought the Nuggets offense <clears throat> wasn't always getting great results, but they were always getting good shots and good looks. And, and, and the ball was just moving. This, this looked like what we expect from the Nuggets uh, on the offensive end. So really big night for a couple guys. Jamal Murray went off. Um, Paul Millsap, I thought, had a fantastic game. Monte Morris looked like his old self. There's a lot of storylines to discuss around Monte Morris. We're going to get to him quite a bit. But if you're new to the show, welcome. What I like to do is is go over notes from the game, not necessarily just recap it. So let's get right into it. Um, you know, first first two possessions of the game, nondescript. Denver, Denver was in a good rhythm, but kind of quick. Third possession of the game. Now, coming into this game, <clears throat> it, it's noteworthy that against the Warriors, and I did a piece on Denver Stiffs with film uh, examples to kind of show what I what I was talking about. The, the Nuggets were in a, uh, an offensive rut against that Warriors team. I thought the ball really got sticky. And you could even say for portions of um, the previous games, really since the All-Star break, the, the ball had gotten sticky, I think primarily with that second unit. Um, I thought the first unit had actually moved the ball pretty well for large stretches of this post-All-Star stretch, but certainly not in the Warriors game. In the Warriors game, you get the starters even getting stagnant. And Malone, you know, brought it up. He made it a point of emphasis. And you could tell, you know, sometimes Malone will make something a point of emphasis and sometimes he will kind of throw down the gauntlet. I thought this was an example where Malone threw down the gauntlet. He, he was basically calling his team out specific players, um, you know, giving specific examples of, of uh, times in, in the Warriors game where guys were selfish and, and, you know, really challenged the team to get back to what their identity is. Because as good as this Nuggets team is, as deep as they are and as talented as they are, they are not a great one-on-one team. They don't have a lot of guys that score one-on-one from the perimeter. Jokic can do a little bit in the post, but I don't think he's necessarily an efficient isolation guy. The way that a Carl Anthony Towns is, for example, this is one of the ways they're different, is that Towns is the type of guy that you feel really good just going to him over and over and over again. Um, Jokic is more of a guy that he's a more well-rounded offensive player. He gets the ball going. He, he gets guys set up in their spots, and I think that can be um, even much more effective. Um, but the ball got sticky, and, and, and Malone's point was the team needs to really start moving the ball. Well, third possession of this game, 
There were five dribble handoffs in a single possession. And I've talked about this a lot before in the past that the Nuggets, when they, especially with Jokic, when you force the defense to fight over multiple screens, not just one, not just one spread pick and roll defense has to fight over and they're playing from behind, but when you can get screen rescreen action, um, one dribble handoff into another dribble handoff, reverse the ball from one side of the court to the other, that's so exhausting to guard. As a defender, you have to fight over screens. You have to worry about back cuts multiple times. Um, so Denver, that third possession, five dribble handoffs in a single possession. Mer- Jamal Murray gets a wide open bucket. Um, you knew that set the table. I thought that set the tone for a good uh, a good game. I talked the other day that it took 13 possessions for the Nuggets to get a single good look against the Warriors because they were just shooting so quickly. Well, this one only three and, and never gets a bucket. I thought Jamal Murray was the one player to start this game that that I just made a couple questionable decisions and with as much of an emphasis had been placed on this game and getting the ball moving and not being selfish Jamal Murray had two possessions in that first stint where I you know I really questioned it just quick shots one was kind of a step back makes a little dances with the ball a little bit does a step back mid-range jumper kind of kicks his foot out just misses it just not a good shot but you know he really heated up later in this game but to start it was noteworthy that to start he was the one guy I looked at and thought man he still isn't quite in the right rhythm Um, but of course he got there later on the Nuggets were just really patient in this first quarter I thought there was it's funny because the pace of the game was relatively quick and and it was a high scoring affair 133 points 107 31 points in that first quarter you know Nuggets got a lot of buckets but I thought they were especially patient in that first quarter and, and worked the ball around you could tell guys, you know, guys like Will Barton who can who can be a little bit too much one on one. You know, they would catch the ball in transition, kind of make a move, trying to see if they could get around their defender. And rather than force things, they just pull it back out and, and, and trust their offense to do what it does. And to me, that's such a great sign. Now, Minnesota not great defensively. So and and especially with all the injuries that they've had, you know, this it's it's not the best test being at home playing against a down opponent who's shorthanded. Um, but nonetheless, you want to dominate that those types of matchups, and that's exactly what, what what Denver did. And then the highlight of the first the first quarter, one of my favorite plays of the year, Jokic to Plumlee. Plumlee gets double teamed over the head back to Jokic for a wide open layup. I mean, how many teams have bigs, let alone centers, but bigs that can can play a little two-man game like that. And it, it was just it, it, listening to the players-only broadcast, and I got so many people tweeting me about how much they did not enjoy the players-only broadcast. But, you know, I, I enjoyed it because they raved about the Nuggets the whole time. The, the, the guys, I've said this a lot, NBA players and and analytics nerds are like the two groups of people that that really love Jokic. And it's funny because those two demographics, former NBA players and, and data nerds, um, are, there's not a lot of crossover there. Usually those guys are at odds with each other, so it's really funny that Jokic has the affection of both of those groups. Um, but it was fun because that play in particular got everybody kind of out of their seat and, and excited, including the broadcast crew. Got a lot more notes here, but first I want to tell you about the sponsor of this show, my favorite sponsor, Realtor Ryan Dykstra of Ion Real Estate. He's been a Denver Nuggets season ticket holder for over 10 years. He's a listener of the show, a reader of Denver Stiffs. He's just like you. He's a diehard Denver Nuggets fan, Denver native, knows the market incredibly well, and he just loves helping people buy or sell their homes. Whether you're a first-time home buyer, 
just trying to look into getting into the market. I always say it's one of the best investments you can make. It's certainly uh, real estate investing has been why I have I've been able to become an MBA writer and reporter. I've, I was able to uh, have a very successful career in real estate prior to doing this. Realtor Ryan Dykstra, he's the guy you want to call to learn about how you can become a homeowner, get into a new home, or maybe upgrade your home, maybe buy a a vacation house. He's the guy that can answer all of your questions. He's also got a great new deal just for Locked On Nuggets listeners. Let him know that you heard about him through this show. And if you buy a home with him before August 1st, he will give the home buyer a brand new refrigerator or a high efficiency, ultra quiet dishwasher. That's a heck of a deal right there. You move into a new home, you need new appliances. He's got you covered right there just for just for giving him a call. Give him a call, 303-217-1533. That's 303-217-1533. Or if you prefer, give him a text. Tell him you heard about him from Locked On Nuggets. Maybe talk a little nuggets with him and then learn what it, what it takes to uh, to get started today. Any questions you have, there's no questions too simple, too dumb, too, too foolish. Don't be embarrassed. Talk to him. Get started on the path to home ownership, and you will not regret it. really has a habit of taking a lot of unnecessary gambles on the defensive end, and I'd really like to know what the explanation is for them. They seem so deliberate. It, two or three times a game, he'll try to like shoot the gap on a on, on, on pick and roll coverage and try to go for a steal, and if he doesn't get it, he gives up a wide open dunk the other way. It's one of those like super high risk, high high reward um, type plays that almost always either results in him getting a breakaway or him giving up a point. And I'm just not sure that. The gamble, the math works out that it's smart for him to do it as frequently as he does. But nonetheless, he plays great defense. So these weird, it's almost the defensive version of the Jameer special. Jameer every now and then would just dribble up and launch a long, like a three-pointer in transition with no passes for no reason. Um, and I always wondered what the point was there. It's kind of like the defensive version of that. Monte Morris was the story of this game. Well, one of the stories of this game because he was in in his bag tonight. I thought he was, to me, he was probably the player of the game through three quarters. Jamal Murray getting as hot as he did in the fourth and kind of putting this game away. I think he probably stole Monte's thunder a little bit. But Monte Morris was just so solid. This is the Monte Morris that we remember um, prior to the Isaiah Thomas experiment. And I, and we're going to talk about, trust me, guys, we're going to talk a lot about the Isaiah Thomas stuff because he did not play in this game. Um, but, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that Monte Morris goes back to running that second unit, plays 27 minutes, 16 points, 5 rebounds, 6 assists, just 1 turnover, um, and was 6 of 8 from the field, 4 of 5 from 3-point range. Him looking like his old self in a, in a time when Michael Malone gave him a vote of confidence and said, you know what, we're, we've tried Isaiah, we're not going to try him now, you're, you're, this is your unit, you run it, and then that second unit being as good and him being as good as it was, I mean, I think, again, not the best defense. We, we have to put the caveat here that that Minnesota is not a great team, and as shorthanded as they are, their bench was really their starters, and, and um, the team that the guys that they rolled out on their bench were, in some cases, G-leaguers that they've called out. So they were very, very shorthanded. That second unit, Denver should dominate, but they did and Monte Morris personally dominated this game so um, he also nailed a buzzer beater to end the first quarter if you've listened to the show long enough you know he I don't know if he still leads the league I'd 
have to look it back up, but um, at least a couple weeks ago, he was leading the league in buckets in the final 30 seconds of the first and third quarters. He has just he just has a knack for it, man. That guy really, really understands how to get to his spots uh, and give himself a chance. So no Isaiah Thomas. This was very surprising. Um, there was no bike. Usually there's a bike right by the bench so players can warm up, and Isaiah kind of starts warming up as soon as the game begins because um, for whatever reason he likes to ride that bike for like eight, eight to ten minutes. Well, there was no bike today, and you kind of and that was the first uh, us on media row were, were kind of thinking, oh, Isaiah's at the end of the bench. He's not warming up. I wonder if he's not going to play. And then sure enough, it became very clear to start the second quarter that he was not going to go in there. And um, Malone had talked about maybe shortening his rotation if that's what it takes. And and, th- and that was the case tonight. They went with a shorter rotation, trusted that bench unit, and the, the bench unit rewarded Coach Malone. And they just had some pop in them. You know, I don't think it's one of those things. Guys a lot of times will ask, Oh, Isaiah Thomas, he doesn't like his teammates, maybe, or or, or the guys don't like him. And there's this way. The guys really, I think, liked Isaiah Thomas and like him still. And, uh, you know, from what I can tell, I think he's been a good teammate, um, taking guys under his wing a little bit before he was healthy, talking to them, motivating them. He's a loud guy, which the Nuggets kind of need loud guys in that locker room. It's a very quiet one. Um, but, but the second, so I don't think the second unit was like trying to send a message about, oh, we're better without IT or anything like that. But, you know, if Isaiah came back in December or November, you know, he has some opportunity to build some camaraderie and chemistry with these guys. Coming back as late as they were, you know, I think the second unit really knows each other and has some chemistry with each other. And to be able to go back to that, it just it's almost like they picked up where they left off from a chemistry standpoint. And the ball continued to pop with that second unit in that second quarter. And, and they just, they were they were really, really playing well. Paul Mill, I, I, I really like... Um, being able to stagger Jamal Murray with the second unit, especially alongside Monte Morris. Part of what's so great about um, you know the rotation without Isaiah is that you get those minutes, even more of those minutes, because Jamal Murray, um, I think he really gets going when he gets to play with Monte, and Monte gets to take over a lot of the um, point guarding duties that can disrupt your 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 scoring. Jamal Murray gets to go into scoring mode with that second unit, and and I think it's for the better for him that he gets a few minutes like that. Paul Millsap was four of five from three uh, in this game. It's interesting. He was on fire in warmups, and I know this never means anything. Sometimes guys are on fire. Sometimes they're off. It doesn't. It doesn't tell you what they're going to do. But as I was watching him warm up in this game a couple hours before tip off, he just he was, seemed to really really be in the zone, and I, I I filed that away. So when he went four for five from three, I was kind of like, I guess it makes sense. He he looked to have some uh, confidence in his stroke tonight. Um. There was a play, and and maybe I'll do. I, I want to start doing more and more of these like short deep dives. So I I don't guess it's not a deep dive if it's short, just like a quick hitter about things that jumped out to me in each game. So I'll probably try to work on that tomorrow. But one of the things I really liked <clears throat> when teams switch the pin down screens, off ball screens, which they do a lot, especially on these pin downs. Teams will just switch them. Um, usually, usually between ones, twos, and threes, not always between fours and threes, but, um, in this instance, I think it was Murray and, and, uh, Paul Millsap, Millsap goes to set the down screen and he slips it. When you're playing against a team that switches, especially if they get lazy, that slip and what a slip is, is before you make contact with the guy you're screening, you go like you're going to set that pin down, you're going to set that screen and then you slip towards the basket 
And what happens is oftentimes with the switch, the guy being screened will wait for the contact or they'll just kind of expect you to, to, to run the actual screen, not to, not to slip it. And they'll take their foot off or get on their heels for just a second. Well, that's exactly what Millsap did. And I think it's an underutilized part of the Nuggets uh, offense. Guys will just direct cut in that moment rather than set the pin down. They'll just cut to the basket like a back door. But I think actually taking a step or two and making contact with, with the screener, it just does something to throw guys off. And Millsap had a great example of that. So I'll, I'll try to share it tomorrow. Um, the Nuggets kept getting close to putting this game away, even in the second quarter. I think they were up like 15 at one point, but they kept giving up their position. And this is a thing Denver has done. I think it's partly in the three-point era, which is what we're in, this three with, with lots of three-pointers and lots of players who are capable of, of making three-pointers. I think it's it's harder than ever to maintain a big lead. There's just it's easier to make runs. But Denver kept getting up by double figures and then giving up like an 8-0 run. And it happened two or three times in this game. And especially on rewatch, you notice Denver just dominated this game outside of like eight minutes. There was maybe three two-and-a-half-minute stretches where Denver wasn't great in this game, um, and that was enough to kind of keep it close for a little bit before Denver ultimately did blow the doors off. But um, uh, it's one of those things to kind of keep an eye on. It wasn't necessarily anything anybody did, but they're just prone to falling into these like two or three bad possessions in a row that allow a team back into it. Torrey Craig checked into the game. So when you look at the, the rotation and the amount of players playing, you've got your five starters. You've got Malik, Monte, and Mason, who each played over 20 minutes. And then Torrey Craig got 12 and a half. Um, so he was sort of the ninth guy who who played just a, a little bit in there. And I think it was great. I thought he played really well in this one. And I don't mind Torrey Craig. I think that's the right role for him. To, for me, he's probably more of a 10 to 15 minutes per game kind of guy. Some nights 10, some nights 15. Um, so, so I think the rotation that Malone went with tonight really is about perfect in my opinion. Um, the second unit played some great defense and stints. They got defense, uh, deflections. There was multiple efforts. There was just a lot of hustle, a lot of energy, great rebounding. Um, so I thought that was really notable. Will Barton. So he goes two of nine tonight. He was like the only guy who wasn't really on, um, what did that did not shoot. In fact, he's the only player that shot below 50%. Wow. How wild is that? Denver shot 60% from the field on the game. Uh, and only one player, Will Barton, who was below that. He was two of nine and he had some great looks, including a couple bunnies at the rim that he didn't finish. And I was talking with somebody, you know, with the team today and they were saying, you know, and actually at halftime and they, they said, you know, when Will Barton first came back, it took him a couple weeks just to be able to get back to the rim and, and playing in the paint and playing at the rim and to get there. Now he's getting there, but he's not finishing there. That's the next step. So you'll know he's fully back and recovered from this injury once he's starting to knock down those shots in the paint. And, you know, of course, he's a guy that shoots 45% from the field um, over the last couple seasons uh, this year, just missing some of those bunnies. But I do like that he's getting there. Uh, I, I, I don't think we're far away from him getting back to as good as he's going to be this year. I don't think we're there yet. Um, I also really love a little move that Malone made that just I really, really, really like this one. Jokic has two fouls in the second quarter, and he brings him back in. He plays him a stretch, but then he takes him out with like four or five minutes left in the, in the half. And the reason I like that, Denver had a comfortable lead, and it protects Jokic from picking up his third foul, especially when you're going up against a guy like Carl Anthony Towns. Playing with foul trouble can be really tough because he's so, such a tough cover anyway, one-on-one. -on -one. 
that if you're worried about picking up fouls, you're just going to get absolutely demolished. So um, Malone didn't just sit him, you know, the entire second quarter with two, which would have been dumb. Usually if you get three, you would sit a guy. But he did allow him to play for a stretch, but not too much. I thought it was the perfect rotation from him to take him out in that moment and preserve his uh, his third foul. Um, second half. Murray got rolling in this third quarter, and I've said this so much. Jamal Murray is this team's X factor, and I think that bodes really well for Denver because as hard as I am on Murray and as much as I think he is the guy that is probably the most overrated looking at the whole picture, when he is on and when he is good, he's Denver's second best player. I think Jokic's peak, you know, he's the best player for a reason on this team, but Jamal Murray reaches a level some nights, and and the second half of this game was one of them, where um, he's the second best and he's a, a legitimate second star to the point that Denver just puts you away. When Murray got, Denver was up comfortably the whole game, but it wasn't until Murray got rolling that Denver really started to just like throw haymakers. And um, when he starts to shoot into a big basket, as Michael Malone says, uh, he really can score points in bunches like he did tonight. 30 points. And on efficiency, that's the the biggest thing for him. 10 of 16 from the field, 4 of 6 from the three-point line. He was a plus 20. um, So really, really good, especially in the second half. And it felt like he was playing with great rhythm and timing. It wasn't just that he was knocking down shots. It's that he, um, you know, you, you know, he was making the right reads. And that's the biggest thing for me uh, with him. It's, it, you know, he's gonna come in and out of shooting, but just when he can find the right rhythm to his shots and the right rhythm to how he runs the offense, to me, that's that's the key for him. And he had that tonight. So Jamal Murray gets rolling. I thought Nikola Jokic also got rolling in this third quarter. That was by far his best quarter of the game. Um, And he kept finding the seams for DHOs. Again, the team, the emphasis was on getting him touches. I mean, Malone stressed two things. One was not letting the ball get sticky, not not being selfish, but also get the ball to Jokic because the more Jokic touches it, the more the ball just seems to find energy and get moving. I mean, he's the catalyst for so much of what Denver does. And he did a great job of making decisions in that second uh, second half. He's finding some really, really nice passes in tight windows. He's grabbing some rebounds. And then he knocked down a couple post-ups and, and putbacks, just, just finding himself in the right position. So, again, this was a game where the flow of the game and the rhythm of the game, uh, Denver was able to find it and kind of stay in that rhythm for most of the game. I like Jamal Murray in the post. He had a post-up in this game. He... he um, He's a sneaky good post-up player. He has good footwork. He's able to um, use some of his, his body. He plays with his back to the basket. He clearly has good good moves down there. I'm guessing he probably played in the post or scored a lot in the post growing up. Um, so it was nice. Built a 17-point lead and then an 8-0 run for Minnesota. So kind of, again, Denver opens things up and they cough it back up. Not Never to where you thought, oh, no, they're going to lose this one, but to where you thought, man, they were about ready to put this one away and, and get some garbage time minutes. But, um, you know, ult- they finally got there in the fourth, but not in the third. Back-to-back Paul Millsap threes, very timely of him. Um, and then Malik Beasley had a noteworthy sequence. <clears throat> so with Beasley, you know, the shot I think we can all trust in. Like, he just has such good form, good balance, everything on it. It seems to know what his shots are and what what shots are not his, so he, he's really, I think we just, the book is written on that, we know what to believe with him, but it's some of the other stuff that really is going to determine what kind of player he is for the Nuggets long term, and, and here's a sequence I just kind of want to walk you through, 
he fumbles a pass. So it starts with a mistake by him. He gets a turnover, wide open opportunity, but just bungles the pass. Sprints back on defense, stops the ball, and then whoever the ball handler was, I don't remember, pitches it to the wing. He's the only guy back, so he sort of has to guard both guys. He stops the ball, then sprints to close out to run the guy off of the off of the three-point line. So what he did was he prevents a fast break layup. Then he prevents a, a, a kick-out three-pointer. Denver gets the stop. Going the other way, he handles the ball, and he finds Monte Morris in rhythm for a wide-open three. That's a six-point swing, either a five- or six-point swing from giving up a fast-break layup or three-pointer to creating a fast-break layup the other way, and it was all off of hustle, just good timing and anticipation. To me, those are the plays. Now, those that specific type of play maybe too few and far between um, you know, just on the whole for, for Malik Beasley. But those are the type of plays that when you see him, you, you really are encouraged that, okay, he has that in him. He, he knows how to make these types of plays. He can build off of that. So that, that was a really, really, uh, a really big one. Monte Morris hit back-to-back threes, the one I just mentioned with the feed from from Beasley, and then another one in the corner off of sort of a busted play, just a smooth. Monte Morris just played with so much confidence and, again, great rhythm in this one. Um, to end the game, to end the quarter, interesting sequence, Carl Anthony Towns, Millsap overplays Towns for some reason on the three point line. Towns goes by and gives a nice, a beautiful dunk. And then Millsap hits a full court buzzer beater or, or a half court buzzer beater. Such a momentum, um, you know, shifter for the Nuggets because it was, again, one of those things where Denver had a lead, but it wasn't big enough that you could say, okay, that there's this game is over. But when Millsap hit that three, you think, okay, man, this is probably just Denver's night. We talk about this sometimes. Sometimes it's just not your night. And every 50-50 ball rolls the wrong direction. Every loose ball, you know, whatever. The balls rim out when it looks like they're supposed to go down. I think this was the opposite. Denver shot 60% from the field, 60% from the three-point line. And they just had a lot of those moments like Millsap hitting a half quarter that just went their direction. And, you know, sometimes you just have to accept the luck but also I think Denver created their own luck with with the way that they played tonight when everybody is touching the ball when everybody is involved in the process and in the offense you just good things tend to happen and this is a game that it felt like that to me the team was playing so cohesively and in such great rhythm that the game came naturally to them and we saw a lot of mixed lineups in in, the, in this game and I like that a lot you know I've talked about that starting lineup and how much I love it um Malone has really played that lineup a lot relative to the few amount of games that they've played. I mean, you look at the minute total, it's up over 100 when most teams that have a lineups over 100 minutes, five-man lineups, they've played together 20, 30 games, not seven. So, um, But tonight, I think we saw part of why. When you had Isaiah Thomas, it changed the rotations uh, to quite a, 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 quite a bit. And the overlap with different combinations, I think, became more difficult for for Michael Malone to to really figure out and to and to chew on. Now you have more natural rotations. I've talked about this before, but Murray can play the same role or, or, or give you many things that Jamal Murray has. Malik Beasley and Gary Harris can be pretty interchangeable. Beasley and Barton can be pretty interchangeable. Plumley and Jokic. So you got a lot of these different combinations that you roll out and you think. You don't have to change the way you play. That's pretty much the same lineup, so just keep doing what you're doing. And again, Denver, I thought, was in rhythm for most of this game, and part of that was you could just always throw out a five-man lineup that plays that can play a, a very high-motion, read-and-react style of basketball, and, and, and it was just great to see. Um, 
there was a lineup in the fourth quarter early on. Jokic, uh, I'm sorry, Monte Morris, Will Barton, Malik Beasley, Torrey Craig, and Jokic. So this is an ultra, sm- you know, very small ball. Torrey Craig essentially playing the four. And again, this is another like fun look that you get to give. It's basically a point guard, three shooting guards, and Jokic. Um, and, and there were some really nice plays. Malik Beasley had some great passes, especially in this lineup. He had four assists on the night. Um, and he had a he had a pocket pass to Jokic in the pick and roll that was a high level play. There is a foundation for him to not just be a good passer, but a but a really good. I don't think great, but a really good one. You know, Gary Harris has become has evolved into a better passer. I think Malik Beasley might have more of a foundation as a as a passer um, than even Gary Harris had at this age. It's hard to say, but. Um, it, it's at least at the very least it's it's close and comparable. So that's really encouraging because a lot of I, I've talked a lot about how Will Barton I like his playmaking and his ability to handle and get to the rim uh, is so valuable. But if Malik Beasley a year, two, three years from now can get to the level where you know he's as good as Barton at that skill. I think that's huge for Denver because quite frankly he's a better shooter, a much better shooter. So uh, he might be the best shooter on the team. So that's 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 saying something. And then I have another note in here. I swear half of Jokic's turnovers are to Torrey Craig. Those two, for whatever reason, just are never on the same page with cutting and spouting up. There was one in this game where beautiful possession. Jokic just kind of turns his head and throws the blind pass to where he thinks Torrey Craig is supposed to be. Torrey Craig's cutting. I'm not really sure who's to blame on that one. It's just more about every other player on the roster would be at the three-point line on that play. Torrey Craig's cutting to the rim. He probably had an open dunk if Jokic would have read it right. But it's just that kind of stuff always happened. For whatever reason, those two have never built a chemistry together. Um, and then the ball movement was just so great. It felt so easy to find shots. There were four and five passes with that lineup almost nonstop. Minnesota took a timeout. Um, then they went on a run. <laughs> Again, so annoying. Denver's about ready to put this away. They just had a bunch of possessions in a row, and then they give up an 8-0 run out of a timeout. Um and then the Denver's forced to call a timeout. Gary Harris, I, the reason I, I, I set all of this up, because Gary Harris, coming out of the timeout, busted play. Gary Harris bailed Denver out with a, th- a deep three. That it, it was a bailout play that kind of ended the game. I know there was still like eight minutes or, or something like that left in the game. But it felt like um, the final blow. And the reason that's so great is because when was the last time Gary Harris delivered the final blow? Last year, it was the norm. There was points early on in the season where he was doing that. But since his first initial injury in in early December, it just felt like he hasn't been that guy. And tonight, he was able to knock down some shots. And in particular, that's that shot. 5 of 8 from the field, 2 of 3 from the 3-point line, a plus 18, uh, 12 points. Just a solid night from Gary, and he looked... Um, and stretches like the old Gary, and that's great. Um, Jokic was on the bench, uh, so he starts. He actually didn't start the fourth, but he came in really early, then goes back down and would have come back in had had the team needed him. I like that rotation too. Again, if you're able to play Jokic two stretches in the fourth quarter, one early, one late, I, I like that. I'm all for it. Um, Paul Millsap again. I mentioned he was really so- solid, and then Jamal Murray. He just got hot in that fourth quarter, in that second half, and. Um, when he gets hot like that, man, Denver, I just don't know how you guard Denver. Their, their offense, their process is so is just so great. And when he's knocking down in the second half, 19 points, 7 of 10 shooting, when he's shooting, scoring that well, um, Denver's going to be a problem. So let's turn our attention here. A couple big takeaways. 40 assists. 
this is just incredible that Denver was able to get that many going. Um, and from start to finish, it wasn't like one quarter's where they racked them all up. They had a, uh, there was good garbage time in this game. Thomas Welsh knocked down a pair of mid rangers. Uh, Jared Vanderbilt had a nice crossover. He had an, had an assist. He had a rebound. And then Juancho Hernan Gomez got a shot from the left wing, which is just great to see him get any type of shots to go down. Uh, it'd be nice if Denver can create garbage time throughout this homestand. It, Thursday against Dallas and Saturday against Indiana. going to be tough against Indiana because of the style they play. But it would be nice to get Wancho in there in some garbage time minutes and see if he can't get a little bit of a rhythm on offense again because you never know when he's going to be needed. And even, you know, Torrey Craig gets injured at the end of this game. If, if Wancho can knock down a shot or two, he's worth 10 to 12 minutes. He, he can fill in those, that time and, and be a positive. But the main storyline from this game is that Isaiah Thomas did not play and I think that was the plan. Just just based on how the game unfolded, I think that was the plan right from the get-go. Um, and, and I think, and I would suspect that this wasn't just like a one-off, let's see what happens. I think he's out of the rotation. And, you know, it's tough. I, I think it's the right call. I've talked about on the show how if you just talk about basketball, he's. I just don't think he's needed. Um, and even if at his best self, he, he hadn't been playing well. That's part. That's half the equation. But even if he was playing well, he's he's helpful in ways the Denver Nuggets don't need. So, um, Malone after the game, you could see it in his eyes, and you can hear from the way he talked about it. He said, "You know, it, it, these are very difficult call calls to make." But I'm the coach. That's what I have to do. Make tough decisions. And, and you could just tell there was like a, a little pain and he maybe even sadness in his voice that he had to go with this one. But I got to say, I respect the hell out of Michael Malone for being able to handle this situation the way that he did. Um, it was clear to, I think, most people that this was always going to end with Isaiah Thomas just not having a great role. And not every team would have the backbone, the fortitude, the charisma, um, the principle to be able to say, you know what, I got to do what's best for the team. But Michael Malone being willing to say that says a lot about him and the relationship he has to his team. And the fact that both Isaiah Thomas cheered on the team throughout this game on the bench, was a very good teammate. The fact that Monte Morris and and Mason Plumley, who had been in his own slump, breaks out of his slump tonight, seven points, eight, eight assists, um, some, some really sexy passes, and a team-high plus 25 for Mason. Malik Beasley, really, really good tonight. The fact that that bench looked like its old self again, you know, I think that just speaks to Malone's leadership and just where the team is. Because we've seen, for example, just to contrast this to to Boston, the Boston Celtics, and a, a fantastic coach in Brad Stevens who has um, gotten a lot of accolades, when he has had to reintegrate pieces into the lineup, guys have sulked. Guys have it's, – it's ruined some of the chemistry or hurt some of the chemistry. And, um, you know, I think some of that is on the players. Just as with Denver, I think it's a testament to the, the character of this team and the roster that's been built. But I think it's also to the leadership and charisma of Michael Malone to be able to get guys consistently to buy into whatever role they have. If Denver and, – and maybe it's just the moment that Denver's in – um, but if Denver can get guys to always buy into the role that they have, they're going to have good team after good team after good team in the Mike Malone era. And, and so I have to tip my hat. I'm really, really impressed with the way that he was able to handle that and obviously with the result. And I expect that going forward, Isaiah Thomas will continue to be out of the lineup until his name is called. And at some point, his name probably will be called. Whether it's foul trouble, injury, or something else, um, you know, that will be his next opportunity, my guess. But as for the regular rotation, I think the Nuggets now know who they are, and that's who they're going to be going forward. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. This was a fun one. 
See you again tomorrow with a brand new episode. Thank you for listening to the Locked on Nuggets podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit us on the web at denverstiffs.com.